I'm here with Sarah Griffith Lund. Sarah is passionate about loving her family, God, and being part of faith communities. She's an ordained minister and has served as pastor to churches in Brooklyn, New York, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and New Smyrna Beach, Florida. Uh, Sarah served as regional minister for the Florida Conference of the United Church of Christ and also as a vice president for Christian Theological Seminary there in Indianapolis. She holds degrees from Trinity University, Princeton Theological Seminary, Rutgers University, and McCormick Theological Seminary, and she received the Dell Award for Mental Health Education at the 30th General Synod of the UCC. She currently serves as Minister for Disabilities and Mental Health Justice on the national staff of the UCC and as Senior Pastor at First Congregational UCC in Indianapolis. Uh, Sarah's website is uh, sarahgriffithlund.com, so I invite you all to check that out. And um, I would be remiss if I didn't say that uh, Sarah is an alum of the Writing for Your Life conferences. Uh, so um, we could talk more about that, but most importantly, we're here to talk about her new book. So Sarah, um, it's really great to uh, have you here with us today. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you, Brian. Thank you for your support of writers and for finding ways to create communities so that we can encourage, support, and inspire each other. I'm really grateful for the work you're doing. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much. It's such a blessing to be able to work with people like you. So this, <laughs> it's an easy, easy thing for me to do. <laughs> um, so Sarah's new book is called Blessed Union, Breaking the Silence About Mental Illness and Marriage. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But maybe, Sarah, um, could you give folks just a little bit more background on, on you besides what I mentioned in the intro? Yeah, thank you so much. So I um, always wanted to be a writer when I was a little kid. And I was just remembering that my mom took me to meet my first author. I was 12 years old. And this was in a little town, you know, a writing program wanted to inspire children to write. And so the book was called Walking is Wild, Weird and Wacky. And it was this young person who had written this book. And I went to meet her, and I think that's where I realized, wow, you know, here was someone who wrote a book and got published. You know, maybe I could do that, too. And so my mom has been a big cheerleader, always encouraging me to write. I wrote for the high school journalism, you know, newspaper, and um, got into journalism a little bit, working for the Columbia Daily Tribune and, and whatnot. But what really inspired me to write in my first book, Blessed Are the Crazy, Breaking the Silence About Mental Illness, Family, and Church, was a conference I went to with Anna Carter Florence. Oh, sure. Yeah, it was this um, Young Clergy Women, which is a Young Clergy Women International. But back then it was started, I think, a grant um, to help young clergy women build community. And so Anna spoke to us and she said, you know what, from my research, you know, she had a Ph.D., I think, in preaching from Princeton. She had to look in the bowels of the Princeton Library to find anything written about women preachers. And there's mm. not, not a whole lot historically. And so what Anna said to us as young clergy women, she said, you know what? There's not enough of your stories out there. You know, for too long, the stories of women, especially young women, have been uh, silenced. And so she said to all of us, she said, you know what? You have a God story. And the church needs to hear it, and God wants you to tell it. And that just really spoke to me. And so as I thought about, you know, what is my God story that is for me to tell? What's my testimony? And my dad had just died. And my dad um, was a terrific person. 
who lived with a very serious mental illness. And so over uh, several years, his mental health really deteriorated. And I never quite understood what that meant for me and my family growing up. Um, and it was very hard because in the 80s and 90s, mental health wasn't something we talked about. Really? And in the church, people were not talking about bipolar disorder. And so it was really something we kind of kept to ourselves because part of my dad's uh, mental illness, he would hear voices, he would uh, have hallucinations, he had grandiose um, ideas and thought people were following him, he had conspiracies. And so it was really kind of scary for me as a child and also um, just kind of something I felt ashamed about because he lost his career. He went from a high income earning veterinarian with his own animal hospital to being homeless. Wow. And so I was just ashamed of the poverty part of it, too, and that he was hearing voices and living in his truck. And I didn't know why this was happening. And so I realized that that was my God story. You know, growing up in the church, we never talked about these stories, but I realized that God was there um, all along. You know, through the church, I had a great pastor who every Sunday um, I would hear the pastor say, God loves you. You are a child of God, worthy of love. Um, at a time where my father wasn't able to tell me he loved me, where my father was not able to really show affection and love, I found that in the church. Wow. So when my father died, I realized this is what I need for my own healing. I need to tell the story about how in the midst of our family's struggles with mental illness, the shame and the silence and the fear, fear of the unknown, um, that God's love is what got me through it. And so that was my book, Blessed Are the Crazy, Breaking the Silence about Mental Illness, Family, and the Church. So that, that was really my first book to um, help bring about healing. And the cool thing is that now um, what I've learned as I've gotten more into my own recovery and my own healing journey, I realized that uh, with my therapist, I have post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. And a lot of adults who had difficult childhoods end up with some kind of trauma. And uh, there's a scale called the adverse childhood experiences scale. I think there's like 15 factors. And I have 13 of the 15 wow. Wow. That's, that say, you know, if you, had, if you had these 13 things happen to you, most likely as an adult, you'll experience some kind of mental health stressor mm -hmm. and challenge. Mm. So my recovery is looking at my life through this um, lens of healing stories. And there's been research that telling stories does bring about healing from trauma. And so uh, that's why I write, Brian. Wow. Wow. That's why I write for my life. I write for my own life, for my own survival, for my own healing journey. And I realized, like Anna said, these are God's stories. So while it's very personal to me, it is not just my story, but it's my testimony to how God's love brings about healing in my life. And my hope is that it will bring about healing in the lives of other people. Wow. Well, that's really powerful. And I mean, it just makes me, you know, think about the multiple levels of groundbreaking that you're doing. 
<laughs> you know, honestly, right. You know, as you just said, you're, you're, you've written this for your own benefit, your own healing. You've written it from the standpoint of a woman pastor, right. That, you know, that's still a relatively new phenomenon, you know, in American Christianity, still not completely widespread. Right. And you've written it for the benefit of all the other folks that are afflicted with, you know, some similar experience. So good for you. I mean, you know, this is just so helpful on multiple levels. And oh, by the way, yeah, you're a pastor too at a church, right? So, you know, you get to help people, you know, <clears throat> through that avenue, obviously, as well. So that's just really powerful, Sarah. Thank you. I feel so fulfilled, right? I mean, we talk about our deepest passions connecting to the, the world's greatest needs. And as you can tell, I'm so passionate about this work. Um, it really is a cutting edge area that I invite others to join me, develop theologies of uh, healing and liberation when it comes to mental health, because that's another truth, that the stigma and shame is not just out there in society, it's in our churches. And there's been some really toxic theology that is just kind of in the air um, in terms of believing mental illness is a punishment from God, that mental illness is a sin, um, that it's a character flaw. You know, still today, there's some Christian communities that believe you can just pray the gray away, you know, those gray days, the depression, just pray it away or um, flush your pills down the toilet, you have Jesus now, Jesus saves you, Jesus saves you from, you know, bipolar disorder. Um, so this is the time for us to construct liberation theologies, to look at our spiritual traditions, the gift of prayer, and have a holistic approach and say, how can we take spirituality and science and look at mental health through a holistic approach? You know, take your pills, Take your Prozac and read the Bible and pray and meet in your church in a support group. And so as a local pastor, I love that my church has a mental health ministry. And part of that is a weekly spiritual support group. We're meeting on Zoom, but every Thursday at five, we gather and it's a sacred space and we show up to tell our stories, you know, to mm -hmm. check in and see how it's going. We're not trying to cure each other. We're not trying to fix people. We're just saying, you know what, however you're doing in your mental health today, we accept you and we love you. And we're gonna pray with you and, and be with you through whatever it is you're going through. And that's really the gift of faith communities. And um, that's where I'm encouraged because we don't have to go get degrees in psychology, um, but we can, <laughs> have open hearts and, and love people for who they are. Well, you know, what you're describing, <clears throat> you know, reminds me about um, what Frederick Beekner wrote about how the church should be like Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, yes. support group basically. Exactly. For each other. Exactly. And, and yours is a specialized version of that. But what I realized is there's so much stigma, right? And so as a pastor, there's tremendous stigma as a religious leader who's been authorized and credentialed, you know, there's this idea or a myth that pastors are perfect. <laughs> Some are put on a pedestal, you know, that we have these pristine uh, lives of faith. Um, and so when a pastor has their own doubts, you know, those um, shadowy nights of the soul, 
when a pastor might be depressed, um, it's sort of scary to talk about. And uh, a lot of our churches uh, expect our pastors to um, not be human, which is so ridiculous, right? And so that's also part of the work of my books is to show us that our leaders are fully human and our leaders um, need to have permission to be human and to take mental health days to be able to see a therapist or a psychiatrist without any shame. Well, your you know first book that we d- described, you know, sounds like it deals with that area more generally, right? Whereas the new book actually takes it and applies it directly to marriage. Um, so, and it sounds like you really shared a lot of your own personal story as part of that too. So that had to be difficult, uh, but, but hopefully therapeutic too. And, uh, but, but tell us a little bit about that. Thank you so much. You know, as, as your listeners know, who are writers themselves, um, writing a book Um, especially this one for me took several years and my publisher was very gracious with extending my deadline. (laughs) And I'm so glad it's the book it is today and not the book it would have been three years ago Um, because my journey with mental health includes my own growing self-awareness that I am in recovery of post-traumatic stress disorder and how that impacts my marriage. And my partner is in recovery from addiction, depression, and anxiety. And so instead of my attitude being like, there's something about him that makes our marriage hard, I'm able to say with my own work, with my therapist, there's something about me that also makes our marriage hard. And what's my part in in being healthy as a person so that I can come into the marriage um, with more sense of wellness and and self-awareness about who I am? Also, as a pastor, there's a lot of pressure on pastors' families to be perfect Mm. and pressure on pastors' spouses to be a certain way. And one of the things I realized with our marriage is that um, my partner's anxiety would kind of erupt in such a way that I didn't know what to do. So, for example, there was an event where I was invited to give the invocation before a big banquet. And my partner, my husband came with me and we show up at this event. It's at a fancy country club and they show us to the head table where I am to sit with my husband and the keynote speaker and my partner, God bless him. uh, We didn't know we'd be at a head table, but when he saw that head table that he was to sit at next to me, he just couldn't do it. Mm. You know, the social anxiety just overwhelmed him and a panic attack And so he had to leave. He couldn't stay for the event. And I just was surprised by that. And I also didn't know how to handle it. And I felt upset. I felt disappointed. I was angry at him. And so I think what helps when we educate ourselves about mental health conditions is to realize that it really wasn't my husband's fault. You know, I was angry. Yeah, I was angry at him, but it wasn't his fault. And so now that we know a lot more about his anxiety and, and what kind of support he needs, we can better manage it, right? And, and so, you know, there are just different things that happened. And so I felt like writing this book about marriage and mental illness would also help in my healing, but also help so many other couples who, because of the stigma and shame, 
Uh, we just don't give ourselves the permission to talk openly about it um, because we're embarrassed or we don't want people to judge us. Mm-hmm. You know, I love my husband. He's an amazing person. He's smart. He's funny. He's kind. He has a big heart. And I didn't want people to think less of him because he has these mental health conditions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about kind of what the organization of your book is like. How, is, how have you, you know, constructed it? Well, because I've done a lot of work since my first book in the field of advocacy and education about mental health, you know, I've spoken across the country in churches. I I realized that churches, most part, don't have a baseline knowledge of mental health. And so this book is designed for communities. It's built to educate folks about the basics of mental health. So the first chapter really is a review for everyone about, you know, what is mental illness? What is mental health? You know, what does the Bible say about it? And then it gets into my story about my marriage and then other stories. So I have several couples that I lift up and it's all through the lens of first Corinthians, you know, the love passage that, that we hear at so many weddings Um, And also through this part of our marriage ceremonies where we make a vow, a promise to love each other in sickness and in health. Sickness and in health. I have to tell you, when I did premarital counseling before my husband and I got married, when I thought about that, I thought, oh, yeah, you know, if my husband were to have a heart attack or cancer, you know, of course I would be there with him. I never thought the sickness would mean depression or being suicidal, or um, having panic attacks. That just wasn't even in my realm of comprehension. No one does think about these kinds of things in advance, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I really wanted to to push that conversation Mm. to the forefront, Mm. that when we talk about marriage and sickness and in health, you know, what does that mean when the sickness is an eating disorder, is a hoarding disorder, is a psychotic episode? You know, is schizophrenia, hearing voices, is postpartum depression. And so it's really a beginning conversation. And that's why I'm so excited about it. And I, I, my prayer and my hope uh, is that God will use this to create communities of healing and hope. Well, it's a really important book. And it's a really important conversation to be having um, with, with people. As, you know, you and I discussed before we um, started the recording, I mean, with the pandemic, I mean, all of this has been just exacerbated. Yes. I mean, uh, Brene Brown, she just had a podcast with the Gottmans. And what they are talking about is that a lot of marriages are in crisis. Hmm. Um, marriages that maybe were just kind of doing okay. And the couples didn't spend a lot of time together because they sort of lived in different worlds with their work and outside the home now that they're together all the time, may not have the coping skills that they need. And so we're really anticipating increased divorce rate. We see there's increased use of alcohol. You know, there's increased rates of depression and anxiety across the board. Um, But you know what's interesting? In the data, people who had a diagnosed mental illness before the pandemic and who who were already in treatment, they're actually doing a little better. Wow. I, I think that's fascinating. Yes. And maybe it's because they already had in place the coping skills, yes, exactly. the support, you know, they're already on their meds. They already have a therapist. Um, 
And so I wanted to share with you a little bit about, uh, from my book, um, about this um, theology uh, that supports mental health. And it's so basic, but one of the key messages I want people to know is that God does not abandon people who live with mental illness because God loves us. And so it's really common to have this uh, experience when we're going through a difficult time to feel abandoned by God. The other thing I want people to know is that we are not unlovable because we have a mental illness. That mental illness does not disqualify us from experiencing love with God, love with ourselves, and love with others. In other words, mental illness cannot separate us from the love of God. And so uh, some of the listeners who know about Romans uh, passage, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Um, I like to include, you know, not even mental illness can separate us from God's love. Beautiful. Beautiful and, and true. <laughs> but uh, none of us can be reminded of these things too often. Uh, no question about that. So the book is um, being released on February 9th um, from Chalice Press. So happy early book Yay! birthday. <laughs> Thank you. So exciting. Uh, yes, absolutely. And uh, so, you know, it's available for pre-order now. Um, you know, it's available uh, through uh, the Chalice Press website as well as uh, Sarah's website, as well as other popular book retail locations. Um, and uh, is can you tell us anything about going forward? I mean, uh, are there more books in the hopper already that you could talk about, or, or, or is that still uh, too premature? Yeah, well, I do want to tell you, uh, come join me on my uh, book launch event. It's a conversation, real talk about real marriage. So it'll be February 9th at 8 p.m. Eastern. There's an Eventbrite. You can go to the Chalice Press Dot com and sign up for free. Wonderful. I'm going to have Monica Coleman, um, who wrote Bipolar Faith. She is a process theologian, a womanist scholar, and she is in a marriage and she has a mental health condition. I also have David Finnegan Hosey, who wrote uh, Christ in the Psych Ward, and some other great folks who are going to talk with me, you know, real talk. And so I, I'm really looking forward to that conversation, February 9th at 8 p.m. Eastern. Um, and going forward, I have I have projects. <laughs> you know, God's not done yet. There's still more God stories to tell. And so um, I'm excited about all the good work um, that's here for us to do. And if I may, there's one other part from my book I'd love to share if we have Sure, time. please. Um, the part of my book that makes me cry every time I read it, and I might uh, tear up a little bit for you now, is a section in the book that invites us to think about our marriage through the lens of mental health without stigma or shame. And so it's called a new vow for marriage. And so what I invite people to do is to think about their marriage vows and renewing them in a way that's affirmative. And so this is what it says. This is my promise to you. I will see you as a whole person and not as your worst symptom. I will love you for who I know you to be and not for how you feel or behave. This is my promise to me. I will see myself as a whole person 
and not as my worst symptom. I will love myself for who I am known to be and not for how I feel or behave. This is my promise for us. We will seek support from family, friends, and wider circles of care so we can faithfully fulfill these promises. We will bless our marriage each and every day knowing God is love and trusting God is with us. Yay. <laughs> How beautiful. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for, you know, doing all the work that you do for writing this, this book um, and, uh, and for being with us today. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you about this. Thank you so much. And I invite everyone to break the silence to have these conversations that bring about love and healing. Thanks very much, Sarah. Thank you.